Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. The EU's Digital Operational Resilience Act, better known as DORA, sets out to improve cybersecurity across the bloc's financial services sector. The Act will create a risk management framework for digital technology, or in EU-speak, ICT, across the whole industry. And the new framework will be binding, both on financial services firms and potentially their suppliers too. There's now just under a year to go with the regulation coming into force from January 2025. So there's really not that long to prepare. We invited back Rodrigos Marcos of consulting firm Secforce and of Crest and something of an expert on DORA for an update on where the legislation is at, who's affected by it and what CISOs need to do to be ready. As you very rightly said, um, DORA is a compliance um, uh, law, basically it's a law. that affects uh, EU organizations, so uh, financial organizations established in the EU. And DORA is um, Cyber Resilience um, Act uh, that basically requires organizations to um, comply with uh, a number of um, requirements uh, with regards to cyber resilience. DORA, in fact, is one element of a greater initiative uh, that is happening in Europe uh, called digital finance. So uh, back in 2020, um, the European Commission adopted a a digital finance package. And what this is basically, this is an initiative uh, to make Europe or the EU uh, as uh, attractive for digital operations as it can be. And this uh, package has a number of components, and DORA is the one that provides or ensures uh, security in financial organizations. The other packages um, provide legislation and a framework for the other activities. So, for example, one of the packages is around the DLT frameworks and crypto asset uh, framework. Uh, another one is around uh, retail um, uh, payments. Another one is what they call a digital finance strategy. And the fourth one is around cybersecurity, which is DORA. And there's been a few developments. So just in terms of the timeline, it was announced with the two years notice. That's correct. Uh, so in in January uh, 2022, uh, it was uh, the act uh, was released, and there was uh, given a two year uh, gap. So the idea is that uh, by uh, January next year, uh, there will be so 2025. Uh, sorry, I got that completely wrong. So uh, in January 2023, um, DORA was released and the act uh, was made public. And and there was a two-year window for organizations to adhere to the legislation. 
So uh, the deadline is January 2025. So it's now less than a year uh, for organizations to comply with, with that uh, uh, regulation. So about halfway down the line. So in January 2024, they released the first set of final draft technical standards, as I understand it. Yes, exactly. What does that milestone mean for organizations when it comes to compliance? As part of, of the release of the of the regulation, uh, there was a first um, act, uh, and within the law, it already specified that further um, documents, uh, further information would be released um, within these two years uh, of for um, for compliance. Um, and that is exactly what is happening. So some of the requirements have been fine-tuned. Some of the requirements have been, um, let's say, uh, specified with a greater level of detail. And these are the documents which have been released, uh, let's say, a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's worth looking a little bit more in detail now at what is actually being proposed and what impact it's going to have. And it's not just going to affect financial services firms. Clearly, it's aiming to improve cybersecurity within the financial services sector, and we can talk about why that's important. But it also impacts organizations that supply these firms. That's right. I think you're spot on. This, I think, uh, three elements which make this law uh, particularly exciting in uh, cyber resilience. The first one is that a great part of the, let's say, articles in the law affect the internal operations, processes, and procedures in financial organizations. Okay, and clearly will ensure that those will be more resilient as such. Another interesting topic is that uh, the law refers to supply chain um, resilience as well, and uh, almost creating uh, this environment where the risk of your third party, your supply chain, your providers, are uh, is accounted as part of your own risk. Okay, and that is, uh, I think, based on the conversations with. Uh, um, organizations, the area of the law that um, potentially is going to bring some greater challenges to, to organizations. The third part that I think is very exciting is the cooperation at the EU level. If you think about it, uh, the law requires uh, quite a lot of reporting to um, the organizations to the EU organizations, okay? Centralized reporting. And the reporting comes in a number of ways. The reporting comes uh, from an incident response, okay? So whenever our, an organization has been breached or an incident uh, has happened, that needs to be reported. And the idea and there's uh, some tight uh, deadlines for that. So, for example, the very first reporting needs to happen within four hours of the uh, discovery of the incident. There's some exceptions there. If uh, it's towards the end of the day, they make an allowance to report the following day. But in any case, very, very tight deadlines. And then um, through the, uh, let's say, examination of that incident, there has to be uh, reports um, as well. If you think about it, if every financial organization 
starts doing this efficiently and there's some standardization of how those reportings need to happen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we are in a very exciting times where we are creating quite literally the most up-to-date and effective, let's say, threat intelligence type of database for European organizations uh, that then can be fed back uh, to all the organizations. So this will be, this cooperation in particular, would really uh, tackle uh, cybercrime um, in a very holistic way, basically. There's other reporting as well, um, not only with incident response, with, for example, with supply chain, which I think, again, is an initiative that is going to be, that cooperation is going to be uh, better than the addition of, let's say, the, the parts. No, uh, So in particular, if uh, your organization, let's say, has 50 critical functions and uh, you have 50 third-party providers uh, uh, delivering some type of service, and one of them gets compromised, well, you are, let's say, somehow in a bad situation. But if all your 50 critical functions are delivered by the same provider and that provider gets compromised, then you're in a really, really bad situation. So what Dora is going to uh, create is basically a... Um, a risk registry of third parties where you identify the most critical uh, third parties in your supply chain. And that, again, is shared uh, at a EU level. So then the authorities, what they will do is they will identify those key third party providers within Europe and therefore they will create basically um, an overseeing uh, body which will ensure that those third parties comply as well with DORA regulation. So a lot of the intention behind this appears to be to get ahead of problems so that organisations in the sector are not caught out by a dependency or an unexpected risk that they hadn't understood, registered and attempted to mitigate. Is that broadly correct? I think that is broadly correct, exactly. I think um, we were missing an opportunity here where we needed uh, some type of legislation that truly enforces cooperation. Because if you think about it, cyber criminals is not that they think or they develop or they, they create a new attacking vector every single time that they operate. Clearly, they reuse techniques. They, in fact, uh, if you see threat intelligence, there's uh, very specific TTPs associated to threat actors. So if there was an up-to-date, almost real-time, um, let's say, coordination, where we can identify those attacks and quickly share with the rest of organizations, clearly, uh, that will allow organizations to put all the measures in place to prevent those attacks which are happening to other uh, um, similar organizations. So um, that's why I say that probably in this case, this is a great step forward uh, towards a global cyber resilience. 
And the Act itself has five pillars or five key areas, which are ICT risk management, ICT related incident management, digital operation resilience testing, management of third parties or third party risk. And then there's an information sharing pillar as well. So those five building blocks. What was the thinking behind those five specific areas? Is that based on perhaps an analysis by the EU of or the European Commission of where we've seen failures before? Or are they trying to anticipate risk and where perhaps weaknesses could lie? I think uh, those five pillars, I think, I think they were thought based on the key goals of the of the law. So one of them is exactly. So how can the law holistically tackle the most relevant risks in an organization? So that's why pillar number one is around risk management. Uh, so basically, that means uh, having visibility of uh, your information assets, uh, having the processes and the procedures uh, to protect them, uh, doing uh, basically uh, having the responsibilities at the highest levels and to protect uh, the organization, that type of thing. Uh, and then the cooperation. So the cooperation um, is spread among a number of areas okay and the third party is the fourth pillar i think it's not that they created these pillars um, based on anything specific but basically they um, correspond very well with the um, uh, goals of of the law if that makes any sense it it does make sense Having said that, do you anticipate with your work in this sector that there are any areas that CISOs will find it harder or the hardest to comply with? And, you know, we talked about this very, very narrow window for notification, and that's understandably achieved a lot of publicity. But what about if we look at the five pillars together, would you identify any as being particularly difficult? Yes, yes. Uh, and in fact, this we could anticipate and that has been the case uh, in most cases uh, pillar number four which is the one that focuses on supply chain and third-party risk management and i think uh, if everyone uh, listening probably uh, whenever we go to conferences or uh, whenever we read or analyze uh, the environment, supply chain always comes into the conversation as one of the key areas where it's difficult to, to manage. And it's difficult because an organization can do all their due diligence and do, let's say, uh, penetration testing and red teaming and uh, comply with every regulation. However, they struggle to enforce that to third parties. Uh, simulations of attack involving third parties uh, normally end up being a tabletop assessment, for example. So this is something that uh, still remains uh, to be properly uh, tackled. And I think uh, the practicalities of it make it very difficult uh, to do. Uh, so in this case, the law, I think, will facilitate uh, that road but this is a, a path that 
probably many organizations are slightly behind uh, if we compare this to, for example, incident management that for sure every uh, mature financial organization has all the processes or risk management uh, uh, where there may be maybe some gaps, but nothing compared to the fourth pillar, the third party uh, risk management, where uh, we envisage or is the case that uh, organizations have the greatest uh, challenge. And supply chain or third party risk management is not new. We've seen some very large scale incidents affecting an awful lot of organizations. So SolarWinds is probably the, the best known one, but there have been others. We've also seen organizations being penetrated through third parties. So the target one, again, is the, the reference case that everyone goes back to in the US, where a third party supplier was used to make a lateral move into the core of that system and accessing quite sensitive information. But it is a difficult problem to solve because organizations don't necessarily have the right to audit into their supply chain. They don't have full control. The suppliers may outsource to other suppliers. They all have different standards. So we know it's a big problem. But from a practical point of view, having that in legislation in the financial services sector, is that going to force adherence to a new set of standards? Is it going to cause people to spend more time looking at the suppliers? Or could it have a different effect entirely, actually push people to say, well, we're only going to use a small number of very tightly accredited companies to supply our critical services, because otherwise it's too risky, and we can't quantify or mitigate those risks? Sorry, a long question, I know. No, no, very, very good points uh, there. I think um, the law will help there to start with. Um, the law requires every organization to have um, a risk uh, registry okay, for um, suppliers. So yearly, uh, there has to be a third party reporting. Okay, and this reporting needs to specify the number of new contracts with uh, third parties, um, the category. So, what is the the type of contract or uh, supplier uh, that basically is is being used, uh, and the functions uh, that they provide and they protect. You know, in this case, or, or basically, what is the function? Uh, based on this, and this is uh, very much uh, back to your question, Stephen. So based on this, um, there's going to be what is called a union oversight framework. So those key providers who happen to be uh, supplying critical functions to a large number of financial institutions will uh, need to um, abide uh, to certain regulation, okay? And there will be uh, an appointed um, oversight forum precisely to promote uh, that those uh, ICT providers um, do that at a European Union scale. So precisely what, uh, what you mentioned, there has to be now uh, a requirement for third parties uh, to have a extremely high standard when they are providing critical functions on a large number of, of organizations. And if you think about it, it makes every sense no, uh, to, to, to create that law. And I think in this case, it will be in the best interest of third parties 
to actually go ahead and comply with that law. Actually, there's fines uh, for them if if they don't. Okay. How then do CISOs and risk owners within the organization start to move towards this? Because as we said earlier on, and actually the reason that got you back on the show is to discuss the fact that it's a year off. That's not a lot of time. There's a lot to do. And yes, there may be specific guidance coming in. And for example, there's some work that they've done around how NIST 2 and DORA will work together, which is positive. But I imagine as a consultant in the space, you're dealing with firms that really haven't done enough yet and need to work quite quickly to bring themselves up to standard. That's correct. I think uh, the most mature organizations, uh, they will have some struggles, but at the end of the day, uh, financial uh, institutions are somehow ahead uh, from other industries in terms of uh, the maturity in cybersecurity. I think the medium-sized organizations are the ones which, and a smaller size, uh, are the, the ones who will uh, struggle the, the most. Uh, you are right, uh, there's less than one year uh, for for compliance. So um, I think this, this is not rocket science. If, uh, if an organization feels that uh, they don't know where they are, what they need to do is engage with uh, with a provider or going through the law and identifying the gaps that they have, um, you know, with with regards to the law. And once they have identified those gaps, it's uh, a case of uh, establishing a, a project plan to mitigate uh, all of those. Um, I think uh, you're right. Um, many times when there's a two-year window, some organizations tend to not take this uh, very seriously, but this is a pretty extensive law. So our recommendation is uh, to really act uh, as soon as possible. And what about awareness in the wider supply chain? So again, we talked about the criticality of that supply chain. We talked about how important the third-party risk is to this legislation. If you're a financial services company, you hopefully are very aware of DORA and what it requires. If you're supplying a service into these organizations, and again, that definition of service could be very broad, but a lot of it is focused on ICT and communications technology in the broad sense. Are you seeing firms in those sectors saying, well, actually, we've got a bank as a client, we've got an insurance company as a client, we now need to look at DORA and what might be required of us, and then put in place a plan to comply? Absolutely, by all means. It depends on the the type of uh, supplier that uh, one might be. Um, If you are a supplier, um, supplying any service to financial organizations, but uh, that service is not deemed to be critical, then uh, chances are that you would not uh, need to do anything else, anything else that you are doing already. Uh, probably, I assume that many organizations will do some due diligence, uh, and probably you would need to go through the very typical risk assessment uh, that financial organizations normally um, require from providers. Uh, it's a very, very difficult, different thing if the provider is basically supplying a service that is deemed to be critical, and in that case, of course, um, they should be aware that uh, they would need to comply with the regulations uh, established by DORA. 
of course. And I think uh, this will become very quickly a competitive uh, competitive advantage to some of the suppliers, because if you think about it, um, if some of the suppliers can state that they uh, adhere to the regulations of Dora, clearly they will be in a much better place down the line uh, competing in, in the marketplace. It gives them the flexibility to operate and offer services there for sure. So there is a definition and there's a, a CTPP, a critical third party service provider. And that definition was set out in technical advice issued in September of last year. So if organisations and CISOs are, are concerned about that, you can get that information via the European Commission's website. Just lastly, though, to to summarise and and to wrap that up, is there anywhere where you would suggest, Rod, that people should turn for more information? Because I appreciate and having prepared for this call with you, this interview with you today, there's a lot of very dense technical information in here. And sometimes it's quite hard to, you know, if you're an operational security person, actually understand where it's most likely to impact your business. Yes, I think uh, for people who may not be uh, very familiar with the law, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the law is over 100 pages and a number of documents. Uh, actually, we have created a series of videos uh, of around four or five minutes each, uh, covering all the context of the law, every chapter of, or every pillar of the law. So in very, very Truly, no time. You can digest uh, most of the information in the in the law in a very uh, intuitive manner. Uh, we can uh, uh, provide uh, some links uh, to the videos, and that would be a very very good uh, starting point. That sounds very helpful. And if you have the URL to hand, can you tell people where they can find those? Uh, yes, well, so um, on our website, uh, secforce.com, uh, there is a, a link uh, to Dora Compliance where they can basically uh, download and watch all those videos. Rod Marcos on what firms need to do to align with the upcoming Digital Operational Resilience Act and how it's likely to have an impact not just on financial services firms, but on their supply chains too. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back in two weeks' time, when we'll have an update on the threats facing critical national infrastructure and what progress we're making in protecting it. We'll be joined again by CNI expert Trevor Deering. Until then, do catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon or Spotify. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>